Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zalmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Joanne Jones about Headstrong. This episode is brought to you by the Functional Neurology Center, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are leaders in neural recovery and experienced in treating complex concussion cases with dysautonomia, vertigo, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They've greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Hello, I am Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who don't know who I am, I'm a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently launched the Brain Health Magazine. You can grab a free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast series at facesoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And don't forget to join my Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Joanne Jones, and Joanne is the author of Headstrong, Surviving a Traumatic Brain Injury. She is a professor emeritus at Springfield College in Massachusetts, where she worked for 25 years. While at Springfield College, Dr. Jones served as an associate dean of the School of Human Services and acting dean of the School of Social Work. Before Springfield College, she was an associate professor at the University of Mass, Amherst, and assistant professor of social welfare at the University of Calgary School of Social Welfare. Her teaching and resource focused primarily on social justice issues. In addition to teaching, she has consulted with public and private organizations in relation to diversity, inclusiveness, and excellence. She is the co-founder of the firm Diversity Works Consulting. So welcome to the podcast, Joanne. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm delighted to be talking with you. So, Joanne, I, you know, writing a book is no small feat, (laughs) so especially on top (laughs) of having a brain injury. Um, So I would love if you would just give us a little background of what happened, how you acquired your brain injury. Sure. Uh, I was in Washington, D.C. for the first inauguration of President Obama, and following the inauguration, I had plans to go on sabbatical, and life was great. I was 62 years old, and my daughter lives in Washington. I was right behind her house thinking about what I was going to have for dinner, which uh, I still remember. I was going to order at the restaurant where she worked the lamb shanks cooked slowly in red wine, and that's about the last thing I remember a stranger, just a complete stranger to me, came up behind me and beat me with a hammer. 
And needless to say, my life was unalterably changed from that moment. Uh, and uh, that was uh, about 10 years ago. Wow. And so and your daughter was with you when that happened? No, she was at work and I was behind your house. I was going to drop uh, off my suitcase and then go meet her at work and have some food with her uh, and have a few days before the inauguration. So, so who found was, you? Uh, I'm not sure. I uh, remember screaming. Actually, I remember hearing a sound and yeah. didn't realize that that sound was me. And mm. people must have heard it and must have called the police. Um, and I was in and out of awareness for you know many days. And next thing I realized, I was in an emergency room and... Uh, then had had a craniotomy. So I don't know who found me, and I am forever grateful to whoever heard that sound and for being yeah. in a city that had an excellent department of uh, trauma treatment. Mm-hmm. And so how long were you in the hospital? I was in the hospital for 12 days. My skull was fractured. I suffered a severe TBI, and both of my hands were fractured. I assume I oh, put wow. my hands to my head. I don't yeah. know. Uh, yeah. And then since it was only my uh, skull and brain that were the, the most uh, urgent medical issues, I had a craniotomy immediately. And when I returned home to Amherst, Massachusetts, then I underwent hand surgery. And the, the next year was therapies and doctors and more things. And yes, nine months later, I had a seizure, and all the doctors said they were surprised it took so long. They all anticipated that I would have a seizure because of all the scar tissue that had formed in my brain and the difficulty of brain waves hopping over it. So that meant wow. more treatment, more medicine, and another six months of not driving. Well, so that's from what I understand, from what I understand, it's it can take that they kind of monitor you that whole first year. Um, so that's always been my understanding is that the first year is the most um, likely, I guess, is the word to have a seizure. Um, so right. yeah, that's right. interesting. Yeah. No, I still see doctors. I was uh, seeing them more frequently in the first few years and now less frequently, but I have amazing doctors who keep me uh, able to function and life. I have a remade life. I'm very grateful to them. Yeah, so at the time of of your injury, uh, you were still a professor, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. And so I assume this drastically affected your career path. So would you mind sharing a little bit about how that all, you know, kind of shook out? No, not at all. I um, I was still uh, a professor. I took uh, sick leave, of course, right away. And I was out for, uh, I think it was eight months following the assault. And then I was returning to teaching in September of 2009, and I had the seizure in September of 2009. I was absolutely determined to go back to teaching. I taught in a weekend program for working adults 
who weren't able to get a bachelor's or master's degree when they were younger and they had to have full-time job. And I loved the students and I loved the teaching. And I begged the doctors to let me out of the hospital after I was diagnosed and on medication so that I could return to work. And I did. I, of course, had to arrange rides because I could no longer drive myself. And I went back to work and I continued working for two years somehow. I I loved the experience. After two years, the exhaustion was just far too much for me, and I did Mm -hmm. retire. Couldn't keep up the pace, the uh, exhaustion of being there and the the cognitive uh, exhaustion of interacting and talking and thinking. Uh, I still loved it, but it was just uh, took too much out of me, so I retired. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and fortunately, you know, you were at an age where you could retire, and, you know, not everyone's in that situation, and, you know, I know that this is a subject that comes up over and over again, how people lose their career, and they lose, you know, in their mind, they lose their sense of identity. Um, Did you move on to something else to occupy your time to give you a sense of purpose? Or did that take a while? Uh, It took a while. And, uh, of course, I uh, am very fortunate that I was of an age and of a career where I was able to retire with some income uh, and um, old enough for Medicare. And the combination of that uh, was also life-saving. I did uh, struggle while I was still working with trying to get reasonable accommodation from my employer. And my, one of my doctors sent me to a social worker outside of Boston whose specialty is working with people who have a brain injury or some neurological uh, incapacity who work for large organizations. There are so many people denied reasonable accommodation that it's somebody's like full-time practice just to help weave through that, which stunned me that it was so difficult. It seemed like an absolutely clear situation where I could do something else, but I couldn't keep up the schedule. So after I retired, and as you know, uh, a, a brain injury alters so much. And I would say that for the first three years or so, I didn't think about much of anything. I was um, preoccupied with the things I had to do to simply regain functioning. I was depressed. I uh, wept constantly. If a leaf fell on my head, I would cry. Uh, I had no thoughts of doing anything else. And one of the things that helped move me out of that was getting a dog and I needed to get out of the house mm-hmm. to take care of the dog. And dogs are, uh, they love what they're doing. They love sniffing and running. And I would start to giggle seeing my dog jump. And that made such a difference. And I also felt safer walking out of the house. I could tell people I couldn't talk because my dog had a vest. Or I could meet people. So I felt protected from the world. And then I took my dog on a, you know, a two-day uh, outing and just started to write. And once I started, it just poured out of me. And I discovered that 
while I was writing, I was focused and I was able to concentrate on something and everything else was blocked out of my mind. It was like a, a journey to some other realm, some other reality. And I loved it. And I loved the creativity and going deeper and deeper. And that's what got me started on writing. And now I can't believe, but I now call myself a writer. My book will be published mm-hmm. in uh, about a week. And it was a wonderful experience. I'm very proud of what I accomplished. And I have found a way to both have solitude and quiet and to uh, accomplish something. And I have found a community of women in particular that I uh, love to be with. And I want to say, not really parenthetically, but during this time, I found your website, your Facebook page, and joined it. And that has also been a wonderful experience of connecting virtually with people who have experienced what I haven't, people who are asking questions that I feel like I can respond to. And I posted recently on your Facebook page about my book, and I've received incredible response from people. So for me, that's another community that I'm part of where I don't have to hide. TBI is invisible. And so for me, the challenge was wanting to be seen for what I have, but not wanting to be really seen. I'm a rather shy person. And and for a while being very angry when people would say I looked good. uh, And I would say, well, what did you expect to see? Uh, And couldn't even hear that it was somebody just really trying to find a way to be kind and to say something. Uh, So, I've learned a lot, of course, as we always do from other people. And I I thank you so much for putting together that Facebook. Oh, thank you. And you just, you really just touched on something about, you know, because this comes up all the time um, when people tell you, you know, you look good. And it really is, you know, they're trying to be kind. They're not trying to be condescending. They don't know what to say. Right. And we take it so personally. Um, You know, I had somebody say to me once, oh, well, you talk fine. You must be fully recovered. And I'm like, well, my speech was never impaired. I I never had a speech problem. Um, You know, I'm still recovering, but but thank you. You know, Um, you know, sometimes take it a little too extreme with our reactions and part of that's the brain injury right um you know so I I just I wanted to just take a moment to just pause with that because I really do think that that's an important point that people really are trying to just be kind and they don't know what else to say um and for anyone listening who has a loved one or a friend, um, you know, what what would you suggest they say perhaps instead of you look good? Uh, I not meant to be a trick question. <laughs> no, not at all. Actually, at the end of my book, I have several pages uh, for readers uh, to say, you know, it's, it's always difficult to know what to say. So, uh, rather than say, you look good, uh, you can say, uh, it's great to see you. How are you doing? Uh, 
how's your recovery, or even I don't really know what to say. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about you, and I hope you're improving. Uh, yeah. To acknowledge that you don't know what to say is fine, and it depends for me on who says it. Uh, if it's somebody that I know casually, or, or sometimes it's um, strangers who read about me in the newspaper when it happened, and so they're they are really being incredibly kind and generous. If it's people I know better, I want to do a little bit of education about the reality of TBI and say that it's a permanent injury. And there are some things that I will never recover from, like being tired. And uh, that has also been a struggle of trying to uh, educate people and my, my wife tries to do this as well, uh, why I don't come to certain parties or show up for events or maybe at the last minute say I can't go to something. It's it's not personal to the uh, person who's invited us. It's just my level of fatigue or not wanting to hear loud music. Uh, so it's I think it's always better to um, ask somebody uh, how they're doing and it's also fine to say you look really uh, good. Is, uh, is your life going well? Uh, ask a real question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's also incumbent on us to, to accept the graciousness, mm-hmm. uh, to be open to it. And, uh, of course, not everybody can know the reactions and the reality of the life of an experience they've never had. So it's always a good idea to accept graciousness, I think. Absolutely. And name it as that. You're being very kind, and I appreciate that. The the kindness makes a big difference. And for me, it has. The acts of kindness, people uh, stopping and saying, how are you, or can I help you, or it used to be just dropping food off, or, or whatever, the acts of kindness uh, make a big difference. They really do. And I think, and, yeah. And I think it's also important as a survivor to just not always be so reactive to that comment of you look good. Yeah. Um, because it's not always, yeah. it, it's not meant to be mean. Um, so I think sometimes we need to take a little pause, step back and just say, thank you. You know, um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thank you is also another great response. Like, thank you. And all my life, I wanted to hear people say to me, you look good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm like, how can you say that? How can you say that? (laughs) You know, it's really kind of a no win. As a photographer, um, that was always sort of my mission, I guess, whenever I had a client in the studio, I always wanted to give them a compliment, um, whether, you know, you, your hair looks amazing or you have beautiful eyes or you have a great mm-hmm. smile. You know, I always wanted to give them, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's amazing how as time has gone on and those people, I'm still friends with them and they say how that comment made a difference to them. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's all these people are trying to do, you know, when they say that you look yes. good or, you know, so yes, that was just some grace. Now, yes. Joanne, you were assaulted. You have no idea, you know, who hit you, how it happened, what happened. You really have no memory of any of that. Um, I know you were not the only one who has been assaulted. And 
I, I have experienced with people who've been through a similar situation, they have a lot of anger. Um, they have a lot of um, victim mentality. And you seem mm-hmm. to have worked through a lot of that. What advice do you have for anyone listening who's in a similar situation? And sometimes it might just be a car accident. They were hit by a drunk driver or someone texting, mm-hmm. you know, it's no fault of your own what happened to you. Um, what advice do you have for someone listening in that situation? Well, it's, that's, that's a, a tough, uh, it's a really tough situation. Uh, and I would say, again, for the first few years, uh, I was uh, up and down and angry. I, I wasn't as angry about the person because this person, he's like a, a shadow to me. Uh, I was angry that the police weren't more like the police on Law & Order who would say such nice things to me. And uh, so I, I spent time being angry uh, or spent time uh, trying to uh, analyze it or uh, put it in a larger context about the, the horrible violence in our society. And then what I needed to do was uh, come back to me, look at uh, now, what I was, what was I going to do with myself? It happened. I cannot change that. I can um, do my best to move on. I can also do my best to stay aware of of violence. And mm-hmm. for me, every time there's something that's in the national media, I uh, I sort of glom onto that, and my heart breaks for the people who noticed it, and I. I'm aware because of what happened to me that I wasn't the only person victimized that my closest family were, and they haven't received the kind of treatment that I have uh, to help uh, that in, in an act of violence, there are circles and circles of people who also have been harmed and who are forever harmed by that. So I needed to think about that. Uh, also soften to that, uh, do what I can to make uh, people aware of of the reality of random violence. And for somebody hit by a drunk driver or uh, a driver who was speeding or something where it was a preventable accident to maybe get involved in helping to uh, change laws or be support yes. or something. Do something that has some positive action to it. Uh, being a victim is not a way that I wanted to live. And I, I didn't, uh, I, I still struggle with uh, not like spitting out when somebody says what happened, saying the word hammer right away. It's like a <laughs> showstopper and people are like stunned by it. And it's, it's, I think it's unkind of me. It's, it's I'm still wound up in it, uh, but I do not want to be a victim. And recovery for me has meant finding to live with the reality of the things that have happened that don't deny those realities, but give me a way to go forward with hope 
and with some joy and some way to make uh, a life that I am proud of, uh, recreate myself, support my family and them dealing with it. My grandson was quite young when this happened. And so as you know, each year as he gets older, he has to address it in a different way and uh, to be of use because Mm -hmm. it's happened. And uh, even the person who attacked me, I have no idea. I do not really want to spend a lot of time worrying about him and what might have led him to do this. Uh, But I also don't want him like strung up or uh, some, some terrible, I don't want anything uh, to be done to him that's so punitive, I would have a hard time living with that. I would like him to know what happened. I'd like to see him sometime. Uh, but I, I can't hold on to that. Holding on to those things decreases the quality of my life. And that's a price mm-hmm. I do not want to pay. I feel like I have paid a significant price and will continue to. Uh, but that is the things that I can control and that I can avoid. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so talking well to said. other people who have survived things like I have helps so much. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So well said. And, you know, we can't, live in the present if we're looking in our rearview mirror and if we're stuck in the past and what's happened to us we can't move forward and I know that that's really 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 hard to grasp when you're still new when you're still early in recovery but as time goes on you really have to make a conscious decision to shift your mentality and shift your thinking and okay that happened to me okay, I'm going to put my big girl panties on and move forward, right? Like, <laughs> right at some point, you right. have to make that decision for yourself. Yeah. Nobody else yes. can do that for you. No doctor, no therapist, Absolutely. no friend, no spouse. Nobody can do that for you. You have to do it for yourself. And it's hard. You know, I still have days where I'm like, gosh, this sucks, you know? And I, I you know, outwardly, I try to be as positive as I can be, but there's days where it still sucks when I have a headache for three days or I don't want to get out of bed or, you know, I just don't have the energy to get things done. I need to do it still happens to me, but I know that tomorrow's a new day and I'll feel better tomorrow. So yeah, great, great words of wisdom there. And when I do things like I did with this call, got confused about, uh, the time zones because that's the part oh, of my yes. brain that was really injured. You. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so I have to say, well, you know, there it goes and get some help or, or know that uh, it's something that I can let go of. And a- absolutely. If, if you're living in the past or worried about what's going to happen to me, if I worry about, if I walk out the door, something's going to happen. I'm not living. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's, some, that's an awful thing to do to my family because I'm not with them. And yeah. it's a terrible thing to do to myself. At my age, you know, I, I know there's an end of the line. 
Mm-hmm. But any age, you know, it doesn't really yeah. matter. It's really uh, life is about living the moment you have as fully as possible. Um, and Joanne, you said your book comes out when? It's very soon. Yes, the official publication date is November 19th. It is uh, launched. It can be pre-ordered now uh, and then purchased uh, wherever books are sold. Sold to Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Indie Books uh, and I think iBooks. It's also on Kindle. So, And I hope to get it on audiobook uh, sometime soon. Mm -hmm. And it's just extremely exciting. It is. Yes. And I do have a link in the show notes um, to your Amazon, um, to the, to the link for it on Amazon. So anyone that is interested, um, it's in the show notes. Um, And, you know, I know what a journey it is to birth a book. (laughs) So congratulations. (laughs) I know how exciting it is to see it finally come to fruition. So congratulations. It's, it is a birth. Thank you so much. (laughs) Absolutely. And thank you, Joanne, so much for being here today. We're just about out of time. Um, but I do want to ask if you have any, you know, parting words of wisdom for our listeners. I don't know if I have like a gem. Uh, the, the gems didn't fall out like that, but uh, to that there's a community of people and to try as much as possible to connect with the community. There are places mm-hmm. like your Facebook page. The, uh, there are many places to go and uh, talk with people online. Most communities have uh, organizations and groups that deal with traumatic brain injury. I think most authors of books, uh, like uh, me and you, uh, offer people a chance to, to talk. Don't be alone. The decisions Mm -hmm. are very private and they have to be made out of one's own consciousness. Uh, But being alone is not necessary. And I really recommend not uh, being alone. And for me, um, having a dog has Mm. been incredible. So uh, being with a living creature and something that's warm and soft and um, that both needs care and love and gives care and love. There are a lot of opportunities to, to do that. And doing something for somebody else, hold the door, uh, let somebody go first in the grocery line. It's amazing what that feels like when you can actually do something for somebody else, particularly uh, with a traumatic brain injury that people don't see, but it it uh, is always there with each step, particularly, you know, more so for people who have all, all kinds of issues, whether they're you know, issues with gait or with speech or whatever. Uh, and so to do a kindness for somebody else, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a part of the whole and I can be helpful too. I, I'm not just on the receiving end of what people can do. Mm-hmm. That would be my advice. Well, and that's just wonderful advice. So thank you, Joanne. Thank you for taking the time to be here today and share your story. Um, I know that it will definitely touch somebody listening today. So thank you for being here. 
Thank you, Amy, and thank you for the incredible work that you keep doing. Oh, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Um, I feel Joanne just had a lot of inspiration in there for you. And it might be um, something that you want to go back and re-listen to as well. So just a reminder that you can always find previous podcasts at facesoftbi.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zelmer. And also join my tribe on Facebook, Amy's TBI Tribe. And also grab your free digital subscription to The Brain Health Magazine at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. And just another thank you to our sponsor, the Functional Neurology Center. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you again next time.